Fireside Breakdowns. I'm John. And I'm Robin. Together, we research and break down complex and timely topics facing our society and bring our findings to you every week. Our promise to you is to bring you honest analysis backed by research, to skew our bias towards what can factually be supported, and to try and make it clear when we're giving our opinion versus speaking about actual research. Naturally, we're human. We have blind spots and biases, and they will show through. But our goal isn't to convince you to think any certain way. We want to give everyone a foundational understanding of these complicated topics so that together we can discuss and address them in a thoughtful, beneficial way. Because of the topics that we cover, some of our episodes might get heavy, and some topics might seem divisive. But we believe that even on these issues, common understanding can be found. And we hope that those of you listening agree. We don't accept that the current state of society is the way that it must be. Together, through discussion and on common ground, we can build a better world for ourselves and for future generations. So we suggest getting comfortable and maybe having a good drink on hand as we work through this stuff. Welcome to our fireside. Before we started recording that I am already nervous about this particular episode. Yeah, I'm really interested in that. I'm I'm interested in what it, what is making you feel nervous here. Um so there's there uh I'm not I can't put my finger on it. I haven't been even in the course of the research, but it's just we're we're talking about Antifa or at some of the the other pronunciations that I've seen are Antifa or Antifar. <laughs> Uh, depending on where you're from, <laughs> um, but uh, it's it's um it's a difficult topic because it's something that I know that I am more biased as as we start to address this because I agree with the overall implication, something we'll talk about later on, but just this anti-fascist mentality. But I also recognize that there's a very complicated problem with Antifa and its perception and its actions and the things that it is doing it I say it like it is a group but it's not the 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 complicated whirl of emotions and facts and questions around Antifa it feels to me almost as big and as difficult and as complicated as the uh, systemic racism episodes that we started with oh, except for at that time we were too ignorant to understand how, <laughs> how hard this could be and now we've got a little more ex- uh, experience with you know researching this and breaking it down and I'm gun shy about this particular topic because I feel like no matter what we say here we're going to end up alienating a lot of people we're going to piss off a lot of people. I can almost guarantee that. Oh, yeah, and totally. it's going to be everywhere. And so I don't know. It's just this this particular topic seems red hot to me. And I've been just I've been so. I don't know. I, I cannot understand why this one topic is is makes me so nervous. But I have been for sure nervous about this topic that's really interesting i feel like i don't know with this one i just kind of feel like solidly comfortably in the not so sexy but where all the magic happens middle on this like my husband and i have this understanding that when we have these conversations about big issues people on both sides are going to have really big feelings and it's going to seem like those big feelings are where the majority of everybody lives But like we've talked about so many times before, most people live somewhere in the middle, right? Most people who exist in the United States are not pro-fascism, period, across the board. They are anti-fascism. But when you get into these areas where you've got extremes operating both on the far right and on the far left, it seems like you're either all the way on one side or all the way on the other side. 
And I just I just feel really good about living straight in the middle on this one. Yeah, I think that's what makes me nervous is that I my instinct is that this is not a both sides issue, even though it is something that readily lends itself to being compared like it's a both sides issue. And we had a, a little discussion about this. This is probably like the first episode that we're recording where there's daylight between how you think about something and how I think about something. Yep. Um, because I don't think that necessarily uh, that this is one of those situations where you can say Antifa is the opposite equivalent of the alt-right. And I can talk about that in a little bit. Right. But I don't. I, we'll we'll get there in just a few minutes. Uh, but it's just I'm. I want to resist that fallacy that both sides of this, because especially in the last four years, both sides was used all the time, and I don't think that it did a lot of good things for public discourse. Well, right, but I feel like it's it's a little bit of a misunderstanding to. To even say that by bringing up that there are extremist groups on both sides, that you're drawing an equivalency. Because they're very different groups, and they fight for very different ideologies. But the fact that extremist groups exist on both sides is inherently true. Right. I mean, I'm not debating that particular right. fact. It's, it's more of where Antifa very specifically falls on that spectrum, and whether or not it is a fair comparison to make. So yeah, that's, it's, uh, that's, that's my hitch. Right. And so by saying by saying that most of us live in the middle, I feel like it's fair to say that most of us don't fall on the far right side of promoting fascism or white supremacy or misogyny or anti-Semitism or any of that. But also very many of us are opposed to the application of I'm trying to decide if I want to use the word violence here because that's not that's not all encompassing enough. Um, right. But some of the the more physical tactics for combating what is perceived to be on the other side simply because of the subjectivity, and we'll talk about that a little bit next episode when we make it finally into the actual ideologies or tenets that these um, that these groups organize under. It's so subjective as to what they consider to be on the opposite side of their perspective that that there isn't this one unifying, there's an overall unifying ideology, but there's not a unifying checklist. Right. So, so I might fully support what some groups are, are activating against, and even in the cases where they use the more physical tactics to do their activism, but I might not in other situations. And so... It just, it feels hard to get fully on board with these are the good guys, these are the bad guys. Yeah. And I think as you were talking, it kind of hit me that one of the problems that I have is that Antifa is considered far left, right? And they are, I think the actors of Antifa are without a doubt on the left side of the political spectrum. Right. But I don't think it is considered left to be anti-fascist. Right. Which is at its root, what Antifa is. So I think there's this, I, a, um, I guess an unnatural pushing of Antifa farther left than it actually is, which then becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, I, I feel like the problem is, is this whole proper noun versus collective noun versus adjective situation. And the right. term Antifa gets thrown around and used in all of those. So, right, it's capital A, Antifa when, or the Antifa, when people around here are talking about it. <laughs> or it's a collective noun when you're talking about groups of people who organize under anti-fascist ideologies. But then you have the adjective, like you have that description of, I am against fascist ideology. And I think right. most of us are. And I think that's, the problem is a misalignment, right? The, like we've collected all of those things under one term. When they yeah. all need to be different terms. Yeah. I think uh, I was having a conversation with a, a, another friend and he is 
he says he's staunchly Antifa or sorry, against Antifa. He's anti-Antifa. And I was like, so you're pro-fascism because it's an easy, <laughs> easy setup, right? Because you're an instigator. Right? Yeah, I know. Well, so is he. So he doesn't, <laughs> don't, 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 don't act like, okay, you know, he was trying to get me riled up. I'm sure so. he was. Yeah, don't defend him. I'm not. Uh, I am he, not. He knows who he is. But he was like, no, I'm just anti-Antifa. And I'm like, well, it literally just means anti-fascist. So if you're not a, if you're not for fascism, you are Antifa. And he goes, no, I'm not. And like, I was using it as the adjective, right? right. You are anti-fascist. But the 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 portrayal that there has been, and this this uh, narrative that keeps getting pushed, is more of the proper noun version of Antifa, and that's what people think of. That Antifa is a a thing, a distinct group and uh and that's what he was thinking right and that's part of what always gives me pause when i'm talking about this is because we can't even agree on the definition of antifa to talk about it and it leads to so much uh not not even talking around each other just talking at each other and ignoring what the other person is saying so this is just obviously a, a glimpse of <laughs> why we are doing this particular conversation, this series. Um, actually, you and I, we've been thinking about this since we literally thought about the podcast the first time. Yeah. It was on our first list. Uh, and I think there's a note on that list that I wrote that says, oh, God, we have to talk about Antifa. So I have been nervous about this since the beginning as well. Right. So... I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad we're doing it, obviously, despite all my nervousness. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. So I think it's time to just dive in and ask that that question. What is Antifa anyway? Bum, and bum, bum. <laughs> I know every now and then we talk about how we're happy that the answer to one of the questions we ask is like way easier than we anticipated. In fact, we've had a whole couple episodes that are like, oh, uh, this might not be a good episode because it's actually a pretty straightforward answer that's true Um, and you know we still managed to spend an hour or at least a 10 minute yarn out of the question yeah this is this is not one of those questions uh, (laughs) as i'm sure people have realized you know as i was prepping this session of the of the podcast it's just what is antifa and researching it at one point i had easily i had 15 tabs Mm -hmm. up and they are all from different newspapers and journals and authors and uh, researchers. And they're all attempting to answer this question, you know, what is Antifa? And for all of the things that the definition shared, somehow I ended up with 15 different ideas about what Antifa really is. Yeah, I mean, I always try to, I always try to, when I'm talking to other people, relate things to something that that I know we've already talked about, that I know they already understand. So for me, the simplest way to start the conversation was to say, hey, you remember that episode that we did on the Boogaloo movement? Well, this topic is kind of like that, but with left and far left political perspectives versus far right political perspectives. I mean, it's a general umbrella of ideology and then some local and regional groups with actual structures, but no arching, overarching capital A antifa proper noun organizational structure or guidance and then you have a tendency to pull in folks with more extreme perspectives than the mainstream it's kind of this perfect storm of craziness and of course like we mentioned earlier there's that tendency in the media especially media with a conservative leaning perspective to refer to antifa as a singular organized or coordinated effort when the reality is that much like the groups that we talked about in our episode on the boogaloo movement The primary thread that connects people under that Antifa banner is an anti-fascist ideology and activism-based rejection of what they perceive to be white supremacist or racist people or practices or ideologies. But it's not a bucket. Yeah. And and that's why I, I always, like I said, that equal but opposite comparison, I really think it's setting up a false dichotomy that draws parallels that aren't necessarily true and i you know the listener you guys you can decide whether or not you think that is accurate or not my argument against why that is right my argument is that these far-right ideologies have existed you know by their uh, under their own power 
since we'll get into the history of where Antifa comes from, but you know, we, you know, World War II essentially grew out of this far right ideology about the superiority and how to control a state and, and et cetera, et cetera, genetic uh, bullshit. But um, <laughs> it's the tech. It's a technical. Term. It's a technical term. But you know, and then it goes way, way before that. There's almost always been this persecution of the out group throughout history. It has, luckily, rarely been, relatively rarely been leveraged to destroy the out group. But there have been many close calls, as we are all aware. Um, but these ideologies have existed or have propagated on their own without any outside impetus. Whereas Antifa or its its analogs have existed because of the formation of those ideological groups, those far-right ideological groups. So Antifa is a response to the, the alt-right, if you will. It is not necessarily homegrown to acquire power on its own and force other people to uh, follow their their power structure, their idea of what should happen, right? Without a far-right group, there wouldn't be an Antifa counter group. I don't think. Right, but like, it's, it's like the chicken and the egg. You don't have an antagonizing force until you have an agonizing force. Right, which and that's literally what I'm saying is that 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 in and of itself means that they are not direct parallels. It sets up a lot of differences that makes calling them a direct parallel a little off, a little tricky. Because if the if the alt right were to disappear today, you know, miraculously people stopped hating other people for stupid things, right? Then Antifa wouldn't have to go out and counter protest. The alt-right. Yes, but like, again, we're not drawing parallels in their ideologies. We're, no, I, we're drawing know, parallels with with the overall structure and the misunderstanding of unity where there is no unity. Like, Correct. Like and they're I have not, no dispute with that. They're not ideological I, equals or, or counterpoints or, or anything like that, honestly. They're... Because... Even though we think of political ideology as a spectrum, it, it's more like an oval. It's not a. It's, it's more, more like, like an Warhol. oval than a line, right? Because the right. more you go too far to one side, the closer you start to look like the other side, the extreme opposite of the other side. Right, right. The tactics so, become the same, even if the beliefs don't. Exactly. Even if what you hold to be your core belief is diametrically opposed you start to do the same things and you start to reach equal levels of intolerance right which i suppose is ultimately what i'm trying to untangle here and to make clear is that we're not saying ideological opposite but equals no. simply structural structural, structural opposite right. but equals to understand um, what this group that everybody refers to as antifa is you have to understand that it's very much like these other movements out there with capital letters who are not a unified organization. Okay. And I can definitely get behind that comparison. I think the reason I was hiccuping over this when we were making this episode or writing this particular part is that we have seen the bad faith argument that they are ideologically opposite, but equal as well. And I don't want to take that stance because I don't think that stance is, is defendable when you get into the nuance of their existence. Oh, totally what agree. They, what they fight for. Okay. But I will cool. say that I, coming at things from a narrative perspective and a story perspective, I do recognize what I consider to be an intentional obfuscation when it comes to comparing, um, usually it's Antifa-based protesters and far-right protesters, right? There is this attempt to draw to draw the conclusion that if you are not like kind of like you were doing to your friend earlier, right? If you are not for Antifa, then you are pro-fascist. Right. When it's it's taking advantage of that conflation 
of the proper noun, the collective noun, and the adjective. And it's right. used intentionally to undermine the points being made by people who are uncomfortable with what they see as these very physical and sometimes violent tactics to it basically forces the conclusion that if you are not pro what is happening here and this thing you're uncomfortable with, then you are pro fascist. And yeah. that is dangerous, dangerous logic, especially from a narrative perspective, because like we were just talking about, when you're getting into levels of intolerance, being intolerant of intolerance is still intolerant. Like you will we're get gonna talk about that later, yeah. Yeah, actually. you will get to the point where you reach equal and opposite levels of intolerance and you outgroup and bad guy the other just as much as they do to the people that they don't like. So it we're is gonna... very, very dangerous to conflate those three, especially in conversation with people who you know sit far to the right of you ideologically, because I don't know. It's just it, that feels really dangerous to me and it feels really uh, really intentional to me. So that was one of my reasons for for holding such a hard line on this and and making sure that I reinforce, like we're not talking equal and opposite ideology, but it is not okay to say that if you are against what is represented as capital A Antifa, you are pro-fascist. Yeah, no. And that is, again, a, a, a false um argument i don't remember what the fallacy is right now but um i guess that is a false dichotomy still and and by no means even though i was joking with my friend i didn't i didn't think that he was actually pro no i know and, he's not. and yeah and the people who make that argument in real like real life and really mean it though are, are absolutely creating a very bad uh, confrontation that doesn't necessarily need to exist and is going to necessarily split people. I think if the argument became smarter and was, you don't agree with fascism and there, you can always get a person to say, yes, I don't agree with fascism. Okay. You can always get a reasonable person to agree right. that yes, they do not right. agree with fascism. For the most part. And then you could say, well, in that, in that case, you are anti Antifa. You are anti-fascist, right? That does not make you capital A Antifa going to march in, in you know, black block and, right. and show up at these protests. And so you can, I think we can rather, because it's our podcast and this is why we exist, untangle those two things. <laughs> right. And we're not going to accuse any of you who are listening that if you don't support Antifa tactics... Uh, that you are therefore pro-fascist. That's not what we exist to do. That's way, way outside of our <laughs> modus operandi. Right. That is not what we're saying at all in any of this conversation. However, 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 I am going to say that when we get to the part, not in this episode, but either the next or the one after that, where we talk about tolerance versus intolerance, I think we're going to butt heads again. We're going to have some differences in our opinion because I think at a certain point, you cannot tolerate intolerance. Otherwise, the, the intolerance will take over. And I, I defend this, and I will say, we saw this in Germany during World War II, before uh, the uh, Nazis took over, I'm tripping over my words here, before they took over, they were allowed to have a political platform, even though people recognized that a lot of the things that they were saying were dangerous because it was the interest uh, it was in the interest of of protecting free speech. And the 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 thought is that you have to give certain ideas, you have sorry, the thought is that you have to give everybody their time to express their ideas. Otherwise, you're curbing free spe speech. You have to be tolerant of the intolerant. otherwise, you are intolerant, right? Which is I love not a good paradox. necessarily wrong. And it's called the tolerance paradox. Right. It is, it is a known paradox. There's actually a lot of research on this, which is why I want to tie it into this discussion. I'm because, actually really excited about that part. Yeah, it's, it's very interesting. And I think there's a very, very strong argument to be made that certain ideas do not deserve a platform because giving them a platform is existentially... Um, threatening to a well-functioning society, um, which goes against not just a well-functioning society, any society, really. 
And that really goes against this First Amendment in, you know, ingrained knee jerk to allow all speech and, and to be free speech. Um, without getting too much in the weeds, though, yeah, I no. will say we actually already limit speech. We have legal reasons to limit speech. So it's already a fallacy to say that free speech allows all speech because it does not. Correct. There are limitations that are legal. And we'll again, that's that's yeah. a couple episodes from now, a little but preview of the conversation so we're going to have there. It's going to be great. I'm so looking forward to that it. one. Back to Antifa. Yes. <laughs> so according to Mark Bray, who wrote the book on Antifa, literally, he, ha- he wrote a book called Antifa, the Anti-Fascist Handbook. According to Mr. Bray, Antifa's adherents are predominantly communists, socialists, and anarchists who reject turning to the police or the state to halt the advance of white supremacy. Instead, they advocate popular opposition to fascism. The common theme, really, when you get down to it, in all of the definitions, boils down to preventing the exploitation of or harm to socially disadvantaged groups. So anti-fascist, while it does have the very literal definition of being against fascism, is also anti-racist, anti-LGBTQ plus phobic. I don't... Uh, queerphobic, uh, anti-xenophobic, anti-sexist, and yes, more often than not, anti-capitalist. Um, and that last one might seem a little less clear to some listeners. So without, again, getting too far in the weeds on that and whether or not they're right or wrong and how they feel, it essentially boils down to this belief that a small group of people take advantage of the labor of a large group of people in order to serve themselves and in doing so abuse the larger workforce. And this is why there's a lot of overlap with socialists and socialism in people who also claim to be Antifa. Of course, it's more complicated than that, but this is this is not the episode. Oh, <laughs> it's, already a, it's already a very nuanced and complicated episode. This is not the episode to talk about uh, capitalistic societies and the critiques thereof. We have got more than enough on our plates without stepping on that particular landmine. Right. Suffice it to say, Antifa activists are out there fighting against what they consider to be oppression on behalf of all people, except the fascists. But it might actually be a little easier to understand this whole Antifa concept if you understand what it's not. And we covered some of this, but we'll we'll review that again real quick here. For one, like we mentioned earlier, there is no capital A proper noun Antifa as a singular group. There is no Antifa uniform, no branding or membership roles for Antifa overall. There are no Antifa generals, which is one of the more absurd phrases to come out of the run-up to the 2020 election. There is no centralized Antifa network that covers all of the member groups. There's some level of organization in some spots with some groups, but there is no place that you can go to speak to a manager of Antifa. I mean, there's a flag, but not even everyone uses that. So this is this idea or this, this, this fact that there's no unified Antifa is muddled, of course, uh, by the, the former administration's insistence of referring to it as a collective, as an organization, and trying to designate capital A Antifa as a domestic terrorist organization. Which leads me to a meteor discussion point in this episode about what Antifa is not. Antifa is not a terrorist organization. Now, before you shut off the podcast and decry my (laughs) liberal bias... Uh, which I definitely acknowledge in this episode. I've got it. Listen to what I'm saying, though. And remember that national security is my job. I know some of you are out there saying, but you had no problem designating the Boogaloo Boys as terrorists, and Antifa says they're not against using violence, and you're right. I didn't hesitate with the Boogaloo Boys, and I will explain why. But first, terrorism? That is literally my day-to-day. As ridiculous as I feel saying it, because hello, imposter syndrome, I am an, a quote-unquote expert on terrorism. Ugh, this is gross to say. I don't like it. Now, I'm not trying to misrepresent myself here, and I don't want to give the impression that I can give you the ins and outs of the, the real Irish Republican Army hierarchy, or the movements of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, or even that I have some sort of special knowledge of ISIS, right? That is not my jam. 
not how my particular job works. What I can tell you is that there are very, very particular criteria for what makes a group a terrorist organization and how that works. So let's dive into that for a second because I want to be crystal clear on this point. We strive for credibility here, and I know that this particular section is going to cost us some credibility to some listeners. We're going to set aside for a moment that there is no federal law allowing the government to designate domestic terrorist organizations at the moment. The only authority we have, the only authority that we have given ourselves, is the ability to designate foreign terrorist organizations, known as FTOs, or specially designated global terrorists, SDGTs, which is an acronym you will never hear again. We, drive, we derive these powers from either the Immigration and Nationality Act or Executive Order 13224. This very clearly only applies to foreign organizations. We do, however, have definitions for domestic terrorists, which would be an individual actor, and we will get to that shortly. So let us assume that these two authorities apply to domestic organizations for the purposes of our argument here. Generally speaking, for an organization to be defined as an FTO, it must meet three criteria. One, it must be a foreign organization. We are setting aside the foreign requirement right now for this conversation. I will keep reiterating that we are setting that aside because it is very important. <laughs> the Number two, the organization must engage in terrorist activity as defined in Section 212A3B of the INA or terrorism as defined in Section 140D2 of the Foreign Relations Authorization Act uh, from fiscal years what, 1998 to 1989. Yes, very nitty-gritty here. <laughs> the organization must either engage in that terrorist activity as defined in those sections or retain the capability and intent to engage in terrorist activity or terrorism. And finally, uh, number three, the organization's terrorist activity or terrorism must threaten the security of U.S. nationals or the national security of the United States. So this is from the law. This is Department of State. This is not opinion. This is how we have codified terrorism and terrorist groups and terrorist organizations in the United States. Okay, so I'm just gonna, that was a, that was a lot of, of technical, so I'm just gonna reiterate some of that and see if I got it right here. So, Antifa does not meet the first definition of an organization, first of all, period. Number one, it's not foreign, and number two, it's not an organization. We've hammered on that a million times already. Now, there are organizations that use Antifa in their name, like the word Antifa in their name, and claim that title, such as Rose City Antifa. Now, going forward, we're going to use them as an example. We are not making a judgment call about that organization. They are just being used as an illustration because they have chosen to include that word in the title of their actual literal organization. So what this simply means is that you cannot designate all of Antifa as a terrorist organization because there is no all of Antifa. There's no one person that you could point to that could issue an order and everyone affiliated with Antifa would follow that order, for example. But what you could do, however, is designate Rose City Antifa, again, just an example, as a terrorist organization because they are a discrete organization using the identifier of Antifa. Did I get that right? Exactly. Okay. Right. You cannot use the actions of a group, an individual group, a discrete group, to designate an entire, basically, idea okay. as a terrorist organization. Now, as you noticed, <laughs> the various <laughs> definitions of terrorist activity get pretty nitty-gritty. There are a lot of laws and subclauses and it's it's deep. I'm going to oversimplify it for our purposes because we don't need to get into all of that very small minutia uh, to make a point here. 
So I'm going to simplify it. A terrorist activity would be something like hijacking or sabotaging an airplane or taking captives for ransom or attacking an internationally protected person, which is its own set of definitions, but think like a foreign official or guests or a head of government, that tier of person, right? Um, terrorist activity could also be an assassination, not just an attack, but an actual successful killing a person, right? Uh, using biological, chemical, or nuclear weapons, uh, use of firearms to endanger people or cause substantial damage to property, or conspiracy to do any of the above. <laughs> so a lot of people think that they can identify terrorism on site. And to a certain extent, that is true. You can look at something and be like, well, that's terrorism. But it isn't always true. For example, there is a question about whether or not the Christmas Day bomber in Tennessee last year uh, it actually committed terrorism because we're not sure about the intent behind the violence. And knowing the intent goes a long way towards determining whether something is just bombing, <laughs> quote unquote, just bombing, or <laughs> specifically terrorism with the goal of affecting some sort of change in a group or, or politics or something like that. So that is why there is a question there. It looks like terrorism because he loaded up an RV and drove it downtown and then blew everything up. But it might not actually be terrorism. Just want to make that super duper clear because there is a lot of nuance to this. Yeah. Just because something looks like terrorism doesn't mean it meets our legal definitions for terrorism. Correct. And just because some particular media outlet calls something terrorism or a politician or anybody with a platform. There are a lot of people out there right now trying to have conversations about what is and is not terrorist behavior. To be right. very clear, there are very set specific rules, guidelines, checklists so we can call it terror-inducing behavior, we can call it bad behavior, we can call it a whole bunch of things, but we do have to be really, really careful when we're trying to call things actual terrorist behaviors. Right. That is a word that means something very specifically. We can't just throw them around. <laughs> so right now, all I can find to support that people using this Antifa identifier have engaged in terrorist activities is a, a murder, potentially, and maybe the argument about property damage. And these arguments would be difficult to prove in court due to a lot of mitigating circumstances. So in the case of property damage, everybody I know is thinking about the protests in 2020 right now and the pictures of buildings burning and cars burning and uh, etc. Um, the main problem with that is the inability, or at least the very, very high level of difficulty of directly linking those fires to any Antifa organization. So like Rose City Antifa or any, any person acting as a mouthpiece for Antifa, which again, doesn't really exist because you can't right. speak for an organization if there is no organization. Yeah. So trying to make this assertion on circumstantial evidence is very tenuous, and I don't think it would stand up. No Antifa organization has come forward to say, yep, we burned down that police station, for example. And outside of somebody coming forward and claiming the destruction and saying they did it specifically because of Antifa and not because of another circumstance, I, I'm not sure that that argument is going to stand up. And a lot of people are gonna have a hard time accepting that, but look at, this is often held up as a counterexample, look at the celebratory, I guess, riots that happen in certain cities when their team wins a big sporting oh, yeah. you know, victory, right? Or loses. Um, or loses, either one, right? But we've seen pictures of windows busted out and buildings on fire and cars upside down and literally on fire and mm -hmm. just destruction on a massive scale. Nobody is going to say that those people are committing acts of terrorism. Now, they are breaking the law, and don't misunderstand me. The people who are responsible, if we can make the case, should be held responsible and mm -hmm. charged under the laws that are applicable. But that does not make them 
terrorists. So that is kind of the difference here. Somebody burning down a, a police station doesn't mean they didn't break the law, right? They still broke the law. You're not supposed to do that. Right. Arson is bad, right? Doesn't necessarily make them a terrorist because what makes them a terrorist is the intent behind it. And it doesn't mean that the group that they affiliated with is a terrorist organization because, again, it the group has to then has to be the one pushing for that act Mm -hmm. right and there's no overarching group for antifa specifically if you think we're harping on this a lot it's because there is a lot (laughs) to know about this and we want to be very very clear about what we are saying so in the case of the singular murder i found the witness reports and testimony are really conflicting and there are I would say zero smoking gun indicators that the murderer acted specifically because of Antifa and not some other reason. So there's no doubt that the perpetrator of the murder was a, was affiliated with Antifa and or with with Antifa ideology because again I keep saying with Antifa there's right. no organization. So claimed that Antifa ideology and there is no question that he often operated while using Antifa, while claiming that identifier, to protect people, he says, his friends say, during protests and counter-protests, right? I'm trying to be very... I know. It's <laughs> I'm hard trying to be it's, objective here. It's so, well, and it's um, so specific. Like, it's just, yeah. Right. So it's a very complicated situation. And I'm certainly not saying that it is impossible that he did what he did because of Antifa, right? I'm just saying that the evidence that we have, because we are operating on a legal definition right now the evidence that we have doesn't give us the ability to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt so we cannot make a judgment call and say that was because of terror or because of antifa and therefore uh you know people affiliated with antifa are therefore terrorists we just can't say that with the evidence that we have and i i looked for I looked for how many people have died specifically because of Antifa activity and the it's hard to untangle it again because there's mm-hmm. no organization but this was the only murder that I found and I'm not saying there aren't others right. but there's there's no doubt that Antifa activists have used violence they claim that they will they they are they do not shy away from using that so I'm not saying they're not Uh, potentially violent uh, ideology i just can't find anywhere where the violence specifically happened because of antifa yeah it's i mean i think we can all think of cases that happened especially over this summer where violence led to death and many political pundits and news outlets wanted to relate that violence back to um, to a a capital A proper noun Antifa or even a collective noun of anti-fascist activists. Um, but really, like you were saying, we we have not been presented with any evidence that the the violent behaviors were driven by a particular ideology and supported by anything like an organized group. Right. Exactly. One of one of the things that allows us to designate ISIS, for example, as a terrorist organization is their willingness to claim events that fit the definitions of terrorist activity. The act was committed because ISIS exists, right? So without ISIS, the person who perpetrated the act, right, who, who blew themselves up, wouldn't have done that. So that distinction is critical. If a person blows up a building, that's a crime and can and should be punished under applicable laws up to and including terrorism, depending on their motivations. If a person blows up a building because of their affiliation with a group, then then we have an argument for determining whether or not that group is a terrorist organization. So the final point is by far the easiest to make that a hypothetical Antifa, capital A, organization is a terrorist organization. And that standard says that a terrorist organization must, quote, threaten the security of U.S. nationals or the national security of the United States. 
if there were an overarching organization for Antifa, I think there would be a pretty strong argument to say that they threaten the security of U.S. nationals. And <laughs> because as much as we don't want to admit it, as much as America doesn't necessarily want to claim these people, the people that Antifa vocally stand against, that they list as their opponent, if you will, like neo-Nazis and white supremacists, are largely U.S. nationals. That's why they're in the United States. And again, from not a moral perspective, but from that very high general legal perspective, Antifa does threaten their security. And that is fairly explicitly the common theme from all of the people claiming Antifa. They're pretty much like, F the Nazis. We don't want them to exist. <laughs> I fair. don't know how much clearer you can get about threatening the security of, an, of a U.S. national. Right. I don't understand how you can be a U.S. national and a Nazi either, but that's a whole different conversation. Right. Right. And, and in that particular, like, inside that argument, there... There is so much nuance for a host of other extremist and radical organizations out there that exist in the United States as well. Um, but most of them do fall under this caveat that, like, there is, there's nothing to do there because by the existing laws that we have, Antifa or any of these other organizations can't meet the standards to be designated as terrorist organizations. It's pretty much black and white here. But it is entirely possible for a single group like Rose City Antifa, again, just an example, to be designated as a terrorist organization. So if a group, we're, we're going to make up a hypothetical group here and we're going to call them Agro Antifa. So if our imaginary group, Agro Antifa, were to set up a formalized organizational structure and then start attacking Nazis every time they marched, they blew up Nazi headquarters. They generally endangered the security of U.S. national Nazis. Then Agro Antifa specifically could be designated a terrorist organization as long as we ignore that requirement of needing to be a foreign organization. And so that would mean that everyone associating with Agro Antifa would be associating with a known terrorist organization and then would face the legal repercussions thereof. But what it would not mean however, is that everyone claiming the Antifa ant identifier to claiming to be an anti-fascist would be a designated terrorist. Rose City Antifa would not be subject to le legal ramifications because agro Antifa was, just because Rose City Antifa is a completely different and discrete group. So, hypothetically, if Antifa were to set up a formal national organizational structure that all members of Antifa belong to, one could designate Antifa at large as a terrorist organization. Again, only if we ignore that there's no real legal way for this to happen at the moment. But in order to do that, they would have to meet the other standards. And there is something else to consider as well. And something that might make designating an entire group unnecessary. There is an argument to be made on both sides and... I hate saying both sides. Everybody knows that. Um, an individual actor can still be designated a terrorist by U.S. law. And that's 18 U.S. Code Section 2331. Because Antifa itself is not an organization, even if someone did blow up a building, and even if that person then claimed it was because of capital A Antifa, Antifa could not be held responsible at large the way I understand it, because there's no broader organization to begin with. The individual would be held responsible, however, and certainly would be charged with terrorism in our system. That person would absolutely be a terrorist. Claiming Antifa ideology does not absolve you of the terrorist handle. If that person were part of our imaginary agro-Antifa, then agro-Antifa could be held responsible depending on the circumstances around that person's involvement with them and the role Agro Antifa played in having that terrorist activity um, happen and in, in, in helping it happen. But John, you say, you still said all of the Boogaloo boys were terrorists, even though they are loosely affiliated and don't always have an organization or 
uh, overarching ex- or organization. So you're still being hypocritical. And I get where that feeling comes from. But think about this for a moment. The whole point of the Boogaloo movement and the Boogaloo boys is to push and prepare for another civil war. By declaring allegiance to the Boogaloo movement, you are declaring not only that you believe in the ideology, but that you are actively working to undermine U.S. national security. That is what makes you, by definition, a a racist, a terrorist. (laughs) Pardon the Freudian Freudian slip. The stated goal of Antifa, such as it is and such as they are, it's fairly explicitly against groups like neo-Nazis and white supremacists, not the entirety of the U.S. government itself. Antifa does not exist to bring down the U.S. government, so mere affiliation with the identifier does not automatically bring you to that threshold of terrorist. A person's activities and the methods they choose to pursue those goals, however, could So again, you could be a terrorist and Antifa, but you are not a terrorist because you are Antifa. And I am sure that there are a lot of people railing against me right now. And I am sure that they are good people. And I know that there is a lot of anger and hurt and fear driving a lot of the nation's thoughts right now. But there is a lot more to this than simply saying everyone that claims this identifier is bad. Especially since the identifier is, quite literally, anti-fascist. There are many, many reasons not to designate Antifa as a terrorist organization. But first among them, I think, isn't a legal reason. I think it's an ideological reason. uh, Because it would inadvertently be making it against the law to be against fascism. And I know that we talked about how that is a slippery slope argument. So what I'm saying is, if you made it to be, if you made Antifa a terrorist organization, there would 100% be lawyers out there making the argument that because a person is against fascism, they are therefore Antifa, and therefore they are a terrorist. And that would set the legal precedent. It would not, we cannot necessarily trust people to use a law well just because it was well intended so we have to be very careful when we make these designations again i'm not saying that if you are against antifa you are pro-fascism that is not what i'm saying at all i'm saying that designating antifa a terrorist organization could and probably would be used to attack specific people who are not terrorists but claim that identifier so do you think because this is kind of where I'm getting hung up. We've talked a lot about how there would have to be that organizational identifier and that that organization would then have to have a a specific ideology because being against fascism is just so incredibly broad that there's almost no way that they would become any sort of an identifiable and official organization without... A more highly specified ideology. So wouldn't it then, wouldn't it then stand that the president would be showing allegiance to that specific ideology? Yes, and that's of the organization, and not necessarily just I don't like fascists. Well, yes, and that's why. Sorry, that's why I'm saying that this is dangerous because there is no organization. So in order to designate Antifa as a terrorist group you would have to basically call the ideology what is making the person a terrorist because you couldn't say capital A Antifa is a terrorist group because there is no capital A Antifa. Right. So it's it's legally impossible, I think, right now. <laughs> I couldn't find any way for this to actually happen. No, this I This is a very either. hypothetical argument. It's very much a, a thought exercise, not something that could practically happen. Just... If at this time, at this moment, without any formal Antifa organization, if you saw, if you tried to designate Antifa as a terrorist group, the current definition of Antifa is so amorphous and so broad that it could be the proper noun, which doesn't exist, the collective noun, which does technically kind of exist, or the adjective. And it the adjective part is what could, and I think, would be weaponized against people 
in order to leverage power against them, right? Right. And I think... That's what I'm saying. And I think while a lot of people are probably imagining in their head like some sort of a legal designation and you'd be on a no-fly list, I think we're looking at something more akin to McCarthyism, right? Yeah. Where Oh, 100%. Where if yeah. you said anything that was against the pure execution of capitalists, you were a communist bastard and and called out, right? Like it's less... Yes. Um, less highly specific, you're they're going to knock on your door and arrest you for being Antifa and more that ostrac- ostracizing. I was going to say ostracization, but I don't think that that's a word. It's more the, word. Yeah. the ostracizing it. and demonizing of an entire ideology or the opposition to an ideology. Exactly. Yeah, it would very much be a... a, a a spiritual descendant of McCarthyism and this idea that you, if you are not explicitly pro-capitalism, if you are not explicitly pro somebody who is exercising what appears to be fascist tendencies, then you are therefore Antifa. And we're going to pull you up on trial in front of McCarthy and his kangaroo court, and you're going to jail forever. Right. That is what I'm saying. That is the danger here. If, if we designate Antifa at large as a terrorist organization, what we are going to be facing. Um, I don't think, now granted, I can't see the future. This isn't 100%. And it certainly does have that same ring of fear mongering that is used by a lot of people to drive emotion. Like, hey, if this happens, you know, everybody's going to jail, right? That, that it, it has that air. And I would be happy to be wrong here. But from where we stand in history right now and what we saw over the course of the past four years and that administration's willingness to go to extreme lengths to attack or ostracize people who did not vocally agree with them up to the point of the vice president being a target of the president because the vice president wouldn't do something that's unconstitutional Right. Because we just saw that. I am very, very gun shy about making a huge, broad designation about an ideological movement. And holding those people legally responsible for something that has such a hard definition as terrorism. Right. I I mean, it just calls to mind the previous administration's um, flagrant disregard for things that are real and or actual, right? You've said it a bunch of times now. There is no current legal method through which the anti-fascist ideology adjective could be declared a terrorist organization. There is no legal path to that right now. But we are not living in precedented times. And... (laughs) And the, the, I want precedented times so right? much. And the former president of the United States did very many things, or at least attempted to, right? Said he was going to do, made executive orders for, wrote things down on post-it notes for things that had no clear legal path. Right. Most and he's of them, not the only person. No. Most of them didn't happen. Most of them won't happen. But it doesn't mean that there wasn't an effort to make them happen. And the the more comfortable that we get living in unprecedented times and with that kind of flagrant disregard, the closer we get to not needing valid legal paths toward amorphous and ambiguous things like this. Right. So I think <laughs> we were going to talk about the history of Antifa, but we're rolling into... We just broke an hour just talking yeah. about whether or not it's a terrorist organization. Um, <laughs> Trying to answer the so question, think, what is this anyway? <laughs> yeah, it's it's a big question. I, I definitely did not expect it to take that long, but there was uh, there's a lot of nuance there. Yeah. So I think we'll, we'll we'll come back in a week with the history and 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 further our discussion from that point. Yeah. Uh, because I think this episode especially is going to give you listeners a lot to think about. <laughs> I can't wait for the inevitable 
comments I'm going to get on this one. I'm actually uh, really excited to get comments. I'm super excited <laughs> too. I really am. I think, I hope, I hope if you made it this far and you have been just angry about everything we're saying up to this point, I hope you can recognize that we are trying to make an argument or trying to inform you, not make an argument even, we're trying to inform you about where things stand legally right now. Right. And why we can't and shouldn't necessarily, well, that we didn't fully flesh that argument out, but why we at least can't call Antifa a terrorist organization, why they are not a terrorist organization at this moment. It's not legal, and there is no formal organization to begin with. Right. Those are the first, like, that's really all you need to know. So I guess... (laughs) <laughs> you know give us the plug and i'll give us some good news yeah. and we'll just we'll ski daddle we'll come back in one week we'll have a, a a pretty in-depth discussion about the the very long history of antifa yeah i think there will be some some fun surprises in there for all you history nerds out there um but if you anybody listening have... to this podcast is a nerd let's be honest i know but we they're not all history nerds, nerds. they're not all uh-huh. history nerds uh-huh. If you have strong feelings about this episode, you should tell us those feelings. You can find us in so many places. You could find us on Facebook and you could drop us a comment telling us whether you feel like Antifa should be a proper noun with a capital A, whether it's a collective noun, or whether it's just an adjective. You could find us on Instagram and comment on a photo where we're probably going to have a chart that outlines some relevant things. You comment on that photo. You could share it to your story. That would be amazing. You could find us on Twitter because we actually tweeted like five times last week. Holy crap. I know. Setting records. Woo! Who are we? Yes. You can also leave us a review. It's actually really easy to do that. There are several links to that on our social media platforms or in our link tree or also on our Podbean. It'll be in the show notes. Um, and in the episode description, we would love to hear from you. We would love to have a review because that tells us and other people exactly what you think about this show, whether you love it, whether you hate it, whether you think it's the most researched podcast on the interwebs. Why, thank you very much. We think so too. <laughs> we would love to hear from you. Shameless plug. Talk to us. Tell us how you feel about this. Complain, rant, rave, present counter evidence. And if for some reason you don't feel comfortable on any of those public platforms, you could always shoot us an email. We are firesidebreakdowns at gmail.com. And we are firesidebreakdowns pretty much across the board. If you're looking for us on a platform, you can just type in firesidebreakdowns. Spoilers, though, we're not on TikTok. We're too old for that business. We're definitely not doing that. We're not. We said that about Twitter, but I mean it this time. Yeah. Um, We're not on TikTok. We're going to talk about some good news, and then we'll give you our uh, Black History Month person of import, person of note that we're going to talk about, and we'll sign on out of here. So as we've talked about many times here on this podcast, one of the most effective ways to combat prejudice, supremacy, fascism, all that jazz in America is to get involved in government. And since Election Day in November 2020, more than 7,500 young, diverse, and non-traditional candidates have signed up to run for office through an organization called Run for Something. And that is pretty dang cool. That is good news. The only way your government is going to represent you is if you get in your government. (laughs) That's just all there is to it. On that note, I will say there are a lot of legislative bills being passed all across the country right now that are going to focus on things like voter suppression, and making it more difficult for certain groups to vote. There is a huge bill up in Georgia right now that would do uh, some pretty serious damage to the voting population that turned out in 2020. And it's a pretty naked grab for power. So I would encourage you uh, to look at what your state is putting forward at the state level, the voting laws that they are changing. If you don't agree with them, if you see some danger there, Please write to your state government, call in and campaign for them to rethink that action. That's all I'm going to say on that. Who we got, Robin? All right. All right. 
This is actually really relevant because the Perseverance rover landed on Mars this week, and we're going to talk about a cool NASA guy. But he's not the best known for the stuff that he did at NASA. So, Lonnie George Johnson is an African-American inventor, aerospace engineer, and entrepreneur whose work includes a U.S. Air Force term of service and a 12-year stint at NASA, where he worked at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. Go JPL! Woo! JPL! But he is... Most well-known for inventing the Super Soaker water gun in 1990, which has been among the world's best-selling toys ever since. He also invented the Nerf gun when he patented a pneumatic launcher for a toy projectile, which revolutionized toy blasters and launched an entire industry of super cool toys with which we shoot each other at my office quite frequently. All the time. I used to... A couple of my friends and I... (laughs) So the the president's house on Drury's campus in Springfield is this monstrous, large structure. And me and two of my buddies, uh, one of them was the caretaker for that house for a semester, which we have no idea why they let a college senior live in the president's house, but it was awesome for us. And we uh, may or may not have had multiple nerf gun battles in the president's house yes yes awesome it was awesome so yeah uh, i have a lot to thank that that man for pretty cool yes uh, that's it for this week uh surprisingly s- single topic focused <laughs> episode we will be back in one week hopefully you will be as well and uh, we can't wait to, to keep diving into this topic with you. Until then, everybody, take care of each other. <laughs> <laughs>